0: morning and happy sabbath Uh, such a pleasure to be here with you this morning and uh, we have been talking about storms uh, this morning all throughout this day and and so we'll continue to do that but instead of uh, doing a more seminar format as we've done the previous two presentations uh i'm going to preach that's okay so I feel like at 11 o'clock we'll go ahead and get into the word a little bit. Uh, so uh, JJ and I have something in common, which is uh, to visit all 50 states. And, uh, and so that's something that is definitely on my list as well. And uh, by God's grace, this summer I would cross that uh, line in, in visiting all 50 states. So I'm going to do a road trip with the boys. Uh, we're going to hit up the Northwest uh, and, 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 and Midwest, and I've never had a reason to go to Montana, Idaho, and North Dakota, um, so you just have to decide. So, uh, <laughs> so we're going to go and, and, uh, and drive around and have a good time, visit the parks, um, and, and uh, go see Mount Rushmore and some of those other great things. So, so good times there, so definitely an admirable goal, and I definitely need to talk with uh Ms. boyd here about the israel trip and a couple years don't want to be on that list so i definitely am excited about that um okay uh, if you don't mind let's have a word of prayer and then we'll go ahead and move into our message our father and our god lord we are grateful for the way that you've been with us thus far and and we ask that you would continue to be with us as we open up your word this morning uh, continue to give us wisdom and an insight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, this morning, those who uh, traversed early and got here for the morning manor, uh, we talked about storms. And we used storms as an acronym, which stood for situations that overwhelm the resources needed to maneuver or manage a challenge successfully. And we identified the operative word as being resources. And we identified those resources as being capacity and uh, competency and community. And then in our last session, we talked about what are the most common uh, reasons that storms develop. Can I move around? Is that okay? Okay. So why are the most common reasons that storms developed? And we identified four Ds. We talked about defaults, we talked about distress, we talked about differences, and eventually, and then we talked about deliberateness. We laid the foundation for this and then this afternoon's presentation. This afternoon, we'll talk about how do we deal with differences? How do we deal with distress? And then how do we become more deliberate in our relationships? This morning, I would like to preach from the topic, uh, the deal with our defaults. And we talked about the different defaults that we have in our lives. We talked about four core defaults that we all experience. The first one was disposition. And our disposition is basically the, the traits that we're born with. And we talked about this idea of when we, we, we talked about two ideas in terms of our disposition. And when we, how many of us have ever bought a computer before? So we've all bought computers. And so when we buy a computer, it's, it's loaded with a certain uh, software, not software, but it's loaded with certain hardware. Is that right? Right? And so it may, maybe uh, uh, iOS or maybe Windows. And so that's what you come into, that when you buy a computer, you don't load that on, it's already there. And we talked about how our dispositions are what we're preloaded with. When we're born, we're born with certain dispositions, and those dispositions form our personalities. And we can be curious, more curious, or more cautious. We can be more organized or, as I say, more spontaneously organized. (laughs) We can be more outgoing or we can be more reserved. We can be more compassionate or we can be more detached. We can be sensitive and, 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 and more anxious, or we can be more confident and secure. We talked about genetics and biology as another form of uh, core default. And we talked about how biology informs our lives. We talked about that there's actually about 300 and... 24 genes that have been identified that determine whether or not you're a morning person or a night owl. As a matter of fact, in 2017, the Nobel Peace Prize was given to three biologists who identified the period gene, which was a gene that would identify whether or not someone would be more likely to be a morning person or an evening person. There's an oxytocin receptor gene That would let you know that if you have a higher uh, 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 presence of that oxytocin receptor gene, you tend to recognize people's faces and remember names better. That was very encouraging to me because I forget people's names all the time. And I'm in a profession that's in it really, really bad to forget people's names. And so I, I have to work very hard. When I teach a class, I get the roster, and I have to study it. And I've been tempted to ask them to put name tags on, but I haven't gone that far yet. But I've, I'm so envious, I'm so envious of people who can remember a face just like that. And, and, and I had a friend of mine, and I felt so bad, where I was out, and, and he was like, Zephan! And I was like, hey, man! How are you doing? Good to see you. And he knew everything. Remember this and remember that? And I was like, ah, sorry, man. It turned out he knew me from fourth grade. I had no recollection of this guy at all. So I was envious. But then when I found out there's a gene, I said, okay, it's, it's me, but it's not me genetics right so we talked about genetics and and overall when we think about genetics it's, it's largely benign right though you know whether you're a night person or a morning person or or whether or not you uh are you know can remember names or not but then we also think about other ways that genetics affects us for example things like our mental health depression and anxiety you know oftentimes experienced within families and then impact our relationships We talk about the role of illness and how illness can shape how we think and experience the world around us. These things can create lifelong struggles, both temporally and spiritually. David laments in Psalms 51.5, how he was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. What was he relishing? It wasn't just, we oftentimes talk about how this psalm was him repenting for his sin with Bathsheba, which was true. But he was really referencing a deeper issue that was within not just him, but his family. This morning we talked about within the line of Abraham, they struggled with the default of lying, that they had a genetic predisposition of lying. What was the genetic predisposition of David's family? I would argue that it was sexual issues. Because when you look at his family, you have a situation where he is, you know, goes and steals someone's wife and and kills them. But then when you look at Absalom and how he treated his father's uh, wives, and when you look at, you know, uh, how one of his sons went and, 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 and was improper with his sister, that you see that, that this was something that was rampant within his family. So, when David was saying, born in sin and shaped in iniquity, he was not just referencing himself, but he was praying over his family— And saying that this thing is a poison, not just to me, but to the third and fourth generation. The book Ministry of Healing puts it this way, "...many have battled against strong hereditary tendencies of evil." Unnatural cravings, central impulses were their inheritance from birth. Ministry of Healing, page eleven, chapter eleven, page one hundred fifty three. Patriots and Prophets puts it this way as a rule, children inherit the dispositions and tendencies of their parents. the, intimate, the, the they imitate their example so that the sins of the parents practiced by children from generation to generation. The inspired pen echoes Holy Scripture that the sins of the Father are indeed passed down to the third and fourth generation. Exodus thirty four seven, Numbers fourteen, eighteen, Psalms seventy nine, eight, Psalms one oh nine, fourteen, Isaiah sixty five, six and seven, all speak to how we literally pass on this genetic code to sin. Even now, the things that I have to admonish my boys for were the things that I did myself as a child. The things I see them struggle with are the things that I have struggled with. And and so even if you have felt like you have gotten the victory and moved forward, even through your genetic DNA, we pass these things on. God is saying what do we do about this situation? Then we talked about the default of our environment. Where and how we are born and raised has a significant influence on how we see and experience the world. Was the environment rich in resources, or was there scarcity? Me and my wife were talking last night about, you know, her being raised uh, in, in, in low-income housing, in a low-income area, and how that has influenced the ideas around money. How was it, when we think about the ways that we were raised, and how does that influence our personalities? How does that influence our values? Did we grow up in a warm and nurturing home, or was our homes cold and critical? Was it stressful and chaotic, or was it calm and stable? How do these things then influence? Are we afraid to love? Are we so afraid of being hurt, and are we so afraid of being vulnerable that we won't let ourselves open up to somebody else? At the first sign of, 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 of being vulnerable, do we run? Do we become critical and push them away because we are more afraid of being hurt than being loved. We talked about in the early service how Adam and Eve, as they were hearing God's voice in the garden, they hid. And and I drew the parallel that that 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. And so, so essentially what was happening is as they were hearing love call, They said, we became afraid and hid. Why did they become afraid and hide? Because they said, we were afraid of of what love would do to us. Many of us struggle because of the challenges we've experienced in our environment. Finally, we talked about experiences. Experiences. And and while our environment and our experiences can be related, they are different. I can be raised in a very strong home, as I made the point, and supportive environments still have negative or difficult experiences that significantly shape how I see the world and interact in relationships. Similarly, I could have been raised in a very challenging environment and had experiences that shifted how I approach life and relationship. What is most important about experiences as well as our environment, is not the environment that I was raised, and not the stress, but rather the impact of the stress, the impact of the environment on our nervous systems, and the impact on how we see the world around us. How many of us have heard of this uh, term, adverse childhood experiences? Anybody who's heard that? A few folks? So Average Childhood Experiences, it it talks about this idea of the role of environment and experience. And it talks about a child that's been raised in an environment where there's high stress, divorce, incarceration, abuse, and violence, that those individuals are significantly more at risk of developing physical illnesses as they get older the increased risk of developing mental health illnesses that grow older, that if you have four or more of these, of these adverse childhood experiences, that your life expectancy actually decreases. And, and, and trying to understand an explanatory model for this, what they started to conclude is that the experiences themselves basically push the, the nervous system of those individuals into a chronic fight-or-flight mood. And being in a chronic fight-and-flight flight, fight mood basically taxes the, the, the nervous system and the body so much so that I become more susceptible to disease. But what's interesting is it's not just stress as a child that we're impacted by. That, that, that any stress that is chronic can have the same effect on us. And so we have the work of David Williams out of Harvard University who have studied the role of discrimination. And, 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 and looking at, you know, there was a question for many years about when you look at a lot of minorities that, that if you were just to equalize education and income, all of a sudden, all of the other health disparities would go away. But what they found, and it was by mistake that they found it, is that, that, that as they studied and they removed this idea of Education and income, minorities were still getting sicker and dying sooner. And so they started to ask the question what is going on with this population? And one of the questions was I wonder whether or not being in a world where I feel like I'm constantly have to be on alert impacts the nervous system. They started to study these individuals and ask questions like, when you walk into a store, do you feel like you're always being watched? They would ask questions like, when you go out, uh, and, and do you feel like there are conversations around you, you have to filter yourself because how you would be perceived. And what they started to identify is that individuals, when they have to go through all of these lengths, To just survive in the world, it taxes the body. And so, even if I have the same education and same income that you have, that chronic stress makes me susceptible to illness. The experiences that we have, again, the environments that we have, all of these things impact how we think. Has anybody in there, and you don't have to raise your hand, but, but, but there are times when we've experienced something in our life and we say to ourselves, that's never going to happen to me again. And we build these internal scripts that then organize the way we interact with each other. And then we say, we, essentially we're cutting off the nose to spite the face. In our attempt to keep ourselves safe by this is never going to happen to me again, We then also close off the ability for us to meaningfully connect with others. Because if I say to myself, I'm never gonna let myself be hurt again, then I'm also saying to myself, I'm never gonna open myself to be loved again either. Because love inherently requires the potential of being hurt. Because love is a choice. And so one of the things we have to think about is as we think about these defaults, these defaults have a tremendous impact on our lives and on our behaviors and on our families. And so we talked about how do these defaults impact how we should act, operate in lives. While many of our defaults are not in and of themselves damaging defaults, they can turn into deficits if they're not addressed. And so, it's not the default in and of itself, but when these defaults become damaging, when they keep us from bonding and connecting and finding the relationships and the connections that we so deeply desire, that's when they become damaging. When our environment causes us to be anxious or avoidant, when our environment causes us to be emotionally dysregulated, when our environment causes us to not have the skills to navigate relationships, that's when we start having issues. So the question then becomes, what do we do it about that, and what does that have to do with today's text? In your Bibles, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, I formed thee in the belly. I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the room, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee, a prophet to the nations. Some of us wonder, is God really there? If he was there, why would he allow me to go through what I went through? If he is there, why do I have some of the damaging defaults that I have today in my life? If he was there, why does it seem like it's so hard to get a hold of him when I'm trying to get through a situation that seems overwhelming to me? Today's scripture seems to suggest that he's telling Jeremiah that before he was born, I knew you. Not only that, the Bible goes on to say, as a recurring theme, that before we were born, God knew us. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Did you hear that? All the days. How many days? Every experience that we've gone through, every pain that we've experienced, every heartache that we've gone through, every tragedy that we've had to go through, he said, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. To me, that says that God knows all of our defaults. God knows all of the pain that we've gone through. God is aware of all these pains that we've experienced. He knows where we struggle. He knows the hereditary dispositions. He knows the predispositions that we're struggling with. He says, listen, before you were born, I had already thought about all those different things. Not only that, it goes on to say that 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 If that's the case, that means no one of us sitting here today can be a mistake. Because if he knows this, he says that even if the circumstances were not necessarily as biblically prescribed, that that the fact that you're here, I had already planned that to be the case. He knows what we're going through in life. It means that we're not alone, that He knows where we struggle, that He knows how you will respond in certain circumstances, that He will be there to help us get through. God always knows what's going on. And this is how you know it. Have you ever been tempted and then God sends kind of an escape valve for you? Has anyone ever experienced that before? few folks? So, so that means that, that in order for the escape valve to be there, God had to know that you were going to do what you were going to do. I always like the example that, that, that because Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was going to need a tree to see him, he made sure that 40 years ago he put a seed in the ground. Because looking forward, he says, you know, Zacchaeus, he's not going to be a tall guy. There's going to be a lot of people around. I need to make sure he's going to be able to see me. So, you know, let's go ahead and drop a seed in the ground. So that when I come and he's searching, I can make sure he can get his eyes on me. God's a planning God. God always knows what you're going through. So he told Jeremiah, Before you were born, I knew you. And and he says, I need you to know that because I'm gonna ask you to do a difficult task, I'm gonna ask you to preach a hard message. And because I know I'm going to give you a difficult task, I need you to know on the front hand that any difficulty you experience, I've already taken into consideration. The same message is for us in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and my friend. So how has God managed the defaults of other people in the Bible. I want to take two case studies, and we'll finish. The first is that of Joseph. Let's take a 4-D look at Joseph. You can read his story in the book of Genesis, chapter uh, 37 through 50. What was his disposition? His disposition was he was consistent. He was organized, he was reserved, compassionate, and secure. If, if I was gonna give a profile to Joseph, I would say those are the qualities that he had when you read those chapters. Did he have some hereditary tendencies? I think so. I think what Joseph had to struggle with was he had to struggle with deception and self serving behavior because that was in his family line. What about his environment? And Joseph was in an overindulgent father-son relationship. And 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 but we can understand his environment, right? Because think about it. Jacob loved Rachel and he tolerated Leah. Is that fair? But Leah had all the kids. So when Joseph came along, it's understandable that he would. Treat Joseph in a special way because he was responding to a special woman. So we can understand the environment, right? So, it's a wonder, one of the things that, that I like about the Bible is, 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 is both descriptive and prescriptive. So, it doesn't cut corners. If you didn't do something right, it's going to tell you. But we have to know when it's prescriptive and when it's descriptive. And here's just describing. How Jacob interacted with Joseph. What was Joseph's experience? Because of his father's behavior, it impacted how his brothers treated him. So he felt left out, he felt shunned, right? And so, but the other thing he learned is that, again, going back to his disposition, That that he learned that he had nobody but himself. So he learned to stand alone in adversity. So, So that's his profile. As a result, what type of experience was created for him? Patriots and Prophets says this. Joseph went out, you know the story, and he wanted to get his brothers. His brother said, okay, we're tired of this dude. They grab them, throw them in the pit, begging, please, come on, guys. And they're like, no, nah, we, we're done with you. And, you. and you came out here with your coat? Really? The Ishmaelites come. They say, you know, okay, let's not kill them, let's sell them. They sell them, still begging and screaming, come on, guys, I'm your brother. He says, well, you didn't say that when you were telling us your dream about us bowing down to you. Can you imagine the dialogue? <laughs> so, so now we're your brother? So, on the way to Egypt, this is where the, this is where the pen of inspiration picks up. He says, "But in providence of God, even this experience, and this is the experience when he 's now on his way to Egypt, was to be a blessing to him. He had learned in a few hours that which years might not have otherwise taught him. His father, strong and tender in his love, had, had sorry had been. Had done him wrong by his partiality and indulgence. This unwise preference had angered his brothers and provoked him to dis- the, provoke them to the cruel deed that had separated him from his home. Its effects were manifest in his own character. Faults had been encouraged that were now to be corrected. He was becoming self-sufficient and exacting. It goes on to talk about, he was, as he was on his way to Egypt, he reflected back on the stories he heard as a child. And as he reflected back on the stories, he realized that his self-sufficiency that was fostered by the indulgence of his father was actually not what God would have for him. And so it concludes, one day's experience had been the turning point in Joseph's life, its terrible calamity had transformed him from a petted child to a man, thoughtful, courageous, and self-possessed. And this is why I draw the distinction between environment and experiences, because we may be in an experience that's challenging, but God can take uh, an environment that's challenging, but God can take an experience and turn it all around. Let's look at one more, if that's okay with you. Let's look at the life of Samson. And what is is Samson's 4D profile? He was curious. Would that be, right? He was easygoing. He was outgoing, right? He liked to be at the party. He was friendly. He was secure in himself. Would, Would you say that would be accurate? So that's his dispositional profile. What about his genetics? I would, argue, I would argue that his genetics, he had a predisposition to low conscientiousness and low temperance. Why do I say that? Because God did everything in his power to offset those predispositional tendencies. See, when he was born, he asked his mother and father and said, I need him to be a Nazarite. Meaning I don't need him to drink any stimulants. I don't need I need him to live a particular way because I know what's in him. Here's the application, guys, and this is important. If you know what you're struggling with, you already know what your kids are going to struggle with. And if you know what your kids are going to struggle with, you need to create an environment to make sure they're going to have the best chance possible to be successful where you fail. And so they created, tried the best they can to create this environment for them. What environment did he get raised in, though? Judges 17.6 says this, that there was no king in the land, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. He grew up in an environment where there was war, where there was poverty, where there was a lack of structure. And so as a result, he probably had a lot of aces, adverse childhood experiences. Further, let's think about experiences he probably would have had growing up. He was a Nazarene, and anyone who grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church knows how it feels to be different in a group of people. I remember when my kids had to navigate being vegetarian, being in school. When they were, I think it was the first grade, kindergarten or first grade, they, we had them at the school across the street, and they had pepperoni pizza. How does a five or six-year-old tell their class, I don't do pepperoni, and they go break down the health message to them? <laughs> it's tough. So, so I imagine Samson felt pretty kind of pointed out. Samson, how come you never cutting your hair? What's going on there? Samson, how come you don't drink when we drink? How come you're not doing the things we're doing? And he's saying, well, I'm just the whole Nazarene thing. And he's trying to navigate life, right? So he has all these aces, and he's trying to navigate life. But all of a sudden, he's out there in the the field one day, and they're throwing the ball, and he picks up that ball, and he throws it, and it goes 10 times further than anybody else. And the girls say, "Woo!" And Samson said, okay, all right. All right, yeah, okay, yeah, come on, come on, ladies, let me show you something, right? And, and so, so this experience that he's having growing up, he's dealing with all of these things, these environmental factors that are shaping who he is as he's growing up. And so, so God is saying, I'm trying to create the environment the best way I can to help you navigate all these things, but how many of us know that even with the best of intentions even when God is merciful, sometimes we still get caught up. You can be raised and have good parents and go to good schools. But the inside, that inward man still finds his way out. That inward man found his way out. And, and Samson bega- began to rely on the only thing he knew that found him acceptance, his strength. And so instead of relying on God, he said, you know what? I'm going to rely on my God-given talent So what happens, we know the story, that, 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 that Samson ends up losing his strength, and while he's out there pushing the grain, he has his experience. That, that regardless of the environment, he had his experience, and when that experience came, he transformed, and he said, God, you know what? I realize my strength comes from you. And so while his life may not have been reflective, his death was a testimony of what God can do. The Desire of Ages says this, In our own strength, it is impossible for us to deny the clamors of our fallen nature. Through through this channel, Satan will bring temptation upon us— Christ knew that the enemy would come to every human being to take advantage of hereditary weakness and by his false insinuations to ensnare all those who trust not in God. But here's to take home, and by passing over the ground which man must travel, our Lord was prepared, has prepared the way for us to overcome. It is not his will that we should be placed at a disadvantage in the conflict with Satan. Be of good cheer, he says. I have overcome the world. In my life today, angels are ever-present where they are most needed. They are with those who have the hardest battles to fight, with those who must battle against inclination and hereditary tendencies, whose home surroundings are the most discouraging. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. Romans Romans 7.24 and 25 says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So then I thank God for delivering me. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So as you reflect on your defaults, your experiences, your environment, know this, that he will be a father to the fatherless. He will be a mother to the motherless. He will be our peace and security in the midst of chaos and adversity. He will show us love where we have only experienced pain, neglect, and hate. He will be our hope when it seems like all hope is gone. I don't know what defaults that each of you may be experiencing today. What defaults in disposition? What defaults in your environment? What defaults in your experience? What uh, pre-your hereditary tendencies may be wrestling with? But God says, even if those defaults have turned into damaging defaults, I can give you an experience in a moment that would transform your life. If that's your desire, would you just bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, Lord, we realize that indeed we are born in sin and shaping in iniquity. Lord, we, we didn't choose the environments that we were born in. We didn't ask for the experiences that we went through to happen to us. We have these damaging defaults that have wreaked havoc in our lives. But as with Joseph, as with Samson, as with so many others in scripture, you don't need years, you only need one experience. Let us experience you. Deliver us from these damaging defaults. Give us victory in the areas in which we struggle. Because you have gone this way ahead of us, keep us closely tied with you. Lord, be with our relationships and how our defaults come in and and create these storms that we get into. Help us to be able to be mindful and understanding and aware so that we may be able to have the relationships that you desire for us to have.